Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Last week we started a new series called Making Room for Christmas, and we talked about slowing down. And I don't know if you had the experience to deliberately slow down this last week. Maybe you got into a long line at a grocery store, or maybe you chose the, the lane on the road that had the most cars, and you're probably saying, I hate that message from last week. That's okay. Uh, I didn't like it either. Um, and, uh, but here's a, here's a practical way for us to slow down this week. Um, Advent Prayer Path is something that we're doing this year over the Airmark Building. Uh, this is an experience much like the Stations of the Cross that we do in, during Holy Week. And this is a real practical way for us to slow down and embrace the full meaning of Christmas. And I want to encourage you to come. I think it's open Tuesday through this next weekend. It'll be open during some of the service hours. It'll be a great opportunity for you to just embrace um, the Advent season and uh, deliberately slow down from the busy pace that we often caught up in. Also want you to know that Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, which changes our service times because we do Christmas Eve services. There will be no services on Saturday night that may not impact you, and there will be no services Sunday morning. We'll start them in the afternoon. So services will go from 1, 3, 5, 7, and 11 uh, on that day. So it's a pretty, it's not our normal routine, uh, but one, you be aware of it. You'll hear more about that schedule, and it'll be on our webpage as well if you uh, are trying to remember just different service times. So just wanted you to be aware of that. Uh, change is coming up. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 1. I want to read a couple stories uh, from Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, no problem. There should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, go to page 849, and you will find the, the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. If you're not used to navigating your way around the Scriptures, uh, that you go to that page number, uh, you'll see uh, the name Luke right at the top of the page because it's the beginning of that particular uh, account of Jesus' life. Uh, in the Bible, you're going to see big numbers and small numbers on those pages. Big numbers are chapters, small numbers are verses, and that's how you find your way. That's like an address. That's how you find your way around uh, the scriptures. So I'm going to be reading uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers, of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. 
for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Now drop down to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is God's holy word. Luke, right from the very beginning of his gospel, right from the very beginning of, of, of how, how the Messiah will come uh, to earth, begins to just to parallel story, stories. He wants us to see similarities between, between Zechariah's experience and Mary's experience in, uh, in the Christmas story. In fact, uh, it, it's just very clear he's doing this. So let's put them up on the screen here. You'll, you'll see them. It says, both are visited by the angel Gabriel. Both Zechariah and both Mary are visited by the angel Gabriel. Both are promised the miraculous birth of a son. Both are equally unfit to have a child. Zechariah's wife is barren and Mary is a virgin. And both respond with equal perplexity. How? How is this going to happen? And it's at this point that the similarities are gone because Mary asks the question, how? And she gets an explanation and she gets encouragement. Zechariah asks the question, how? And he gets put in a nine-month timeout. <laughs> it's quite a different response. A lot of years ago, I was, uh, was, was talking about, a little bit on, on a topic I want to talk to you about today. And um, I, I had a BB gun with me. It was a BB gun I had as a kid. It's one of those pump guns. And um, over there, kind of where the advent candles are, there was a chair. And tied to it was a large balloon. And I asked people in this room, uh, I asked, how many of you believe that I can shoot my BB gun? I stood over here. How I can shoot my BB gun, I can pop that balloon. And on that day, faith was high in this room. A lot of hands went up. Almost, almost 100% of the hands went up and expressed belief that I could shoot and pop that balloon. But then I asked a second question. 
Okay, well then, who would be willing to hold that balloon in their hand? Just kind of hold it out like that. And, and let, let me show, how many believe I can, I can pop that balloon and, and not hit them? And faith began to dissipate. <laughs> we went from about 100% to about half of you raised your hand and said, yeah, I, I believe that you can do that. I kind of ratcheted up one more notch. I said, okay, who would be willing, because their belief in me is so strong, to put that balloon in their mouth, hold the end of it in their mouth, sit in that chair, and let me stand over here, pump that gun up, and shoot that balloon and pop it right, right, right out of their mouth. And um, faith disappeared. It was gone, right? But there was like one or two people in each service that said, yeah, I, I, I think so. So I invited them up. I brought them up here. We had them sit in the chair. We put the balloon in their mouth. We gave them safety glasses because we care and put them there. And the glasses were very dark and what they couldn't see. What they didn't know was that uh, there was, we put a slide up and said, Steve is not going to shoot a BB. He's not gonna, so just to calm everyone else, someone came out of the side door and I, I pumped that gun up. I said, okay, here we go. Take a deep breath and I, fired it, nothing but air came out of the end of the BB gun and the person behind her popped the balloon with a pin and then quickly disappeared. We all cheered. Uh, they thought I was a crack shot. They thought I was amazing. And, um, and, and the reason I did that whole, the reason I'm sharing that story with you is to highlight this truth. There's a heaven and earth difference between belief and believing, Right? Belief, a noun. Uh, I have this understanding. There is a chasm of difference between the noun belief and believing, Put a, putting a balloon in your mouth. That there's a huge gap there between the two. And, and here's the reality is sometimes in our life, that because of, you know, because of levels of fear that I might get shot by a BB gun, or levels of disappointment, Levels of discomfort. Sometimes those levels in our life rise higher than our levels of faith. Sometimes our levels of fear, our levels of discomfort, our levels of, 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 you know, call whatever you want, rise much higher than our levels of faith. And friends, this is where doubt creeps in. And actually, uh, doubt can be a very good thing. Doubt can actually lead us, if we process it right, Doubt can actually lead us to a place where we have enlarged faith, greater faith, and our levels of faith will rise. But if we don't process our questions, if we don't process our doubts in a healthy way, it can actually lead us to a dangerous place where we become unbelieving believers. Now here's why I'm saying this. This story is a contrast between two people. We've got Mary, who, who she's 15 or 16 years old, and she asks a question. How will this happen? She knows how a woman gets pregnant. She's not married. She's a virgin. So she's asking the question. Her question is motivated by confusion. How, how's this going to work? She gets an explanation. Zechariah, on the other hand, has a completely different motivation. He's not looking for an explanation. In fact, his, his question is motivated by something that's very clearly identified in the text. Luke chapter 1, verse 20. Gabriel says to him, But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak. Belief was the issue. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth talks to Mary and says, You are blessed because you believed. Her husband can't hear her saying this. 
because you know, he's, he's deaf and he can't speak. And I think she's realized you know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of snarky attitude connected to it. <laughs> you believe this. You know, you're blessed because you believed. My husband's not blessed. But that the Lord would do what he said. Mary, you believe. You had belief. Your faith was, was high. And Zechariah, he, he had unbelief. He had, he had doubts that he was dealing with. And, um, and I want to define doubts and then I'll tell you why I think that Zechariah is where he is and why he's asking the question that he's asking. Doubt, to doubt, is to possess a spiritual double vision. It, it's sort of like doubts are, are like, it's like spiritual vertigo. You're, it's, it's a dis- dizziness and you lose your spiritual footing. It's like you're, you're, you're starting to slip. And the reason that you're starting to slip is because I think in this case, what happens with, with doubts is that we have, a, we have an understanding of who God is, yet our experience of God is something different. Zechariah, has, he's a priest. He knows the scriptures. And, um, and he, I think what he's experiencing is a spiritual double vision. He, he knows the scriptures and he knows that God is good. He knows that God can do anything, yet his experience in life is that God is not good. See, he's living in a culture, a shame and honor culture. And, and having children is a sign of, of honor. God's honoring you. To be barren is, is seen as a curse. So here Zechariah has gone through his life longing for a child, longing for a son. And how often, how often has he, has he prayed and how often has he hoped? How often has the tide of hope risen and then the tide of disappointment taken over and flooded his soul? I mean, it's just this back, some of you know this very well. This has been your experience, so this is where you are right now. Hope and longing for a child and then disappointment when there is no child. How many times does Zechariah and Elizabeth's heart rise in hope for a child and yet that child never came? How many times does Zechariah have to console his wife Elizabeth through a miscarriage? See, he has an understanding, a theological, a biblical, spiritual understanding that God is good, yet his experience is God is not good. And it's led him to a place of doubts. Some of you are in this room. And you're, you, you look back in your life and you can, you can think of seasons where that's where you've been. Some of you, your belief is that God, God is the God who heals. And yet your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother had cancer. And you prayed that there be healing. And that, that, that child or that sibling or that parent did not get healed. And they died. You have an understanding that God heals, but your experience is that he doesn't. Some of you in the room, you have, a, you have an understanding that God is deliverer. And you have a, a brother or sister or a son or a daughter who's got mental illness and you've been praying that God would deliver them from that, that, that illness. And you have an understanding that God is a deliverer, but your experience is that he's not a deliverer. Some of you in the room know that God is a God who keeps his promises, but yet God hasn't kept his promise to you. Some of you in this room know that God is a God who can restore anything. Nothing is impossible, but you've watched a marriage fail. And doubt creeps in because levels of fear, levels of disappointment, levels of discomfort are rising higher than levels of faith and doubt creeps in and it's really important that we know how to process our questions in a way that actually can lead us 
to an enlarged faith versus becoming unbelieving believers. So I want to encourage you, wherever you might find yourself, I want to encourage you to ask the questions and to be a skeptic. Now, let me just explain that because we're not talking about glorifying our doubts. When I say be a skeptic, I'm talking about in the classical sense, a skeptic, definition up here, a skeptic asks questions in search of answers. That's what, in the classical sense. Now that meaning has sort of been lost in these days, but the skeptic is asking questions because they truly do want an answer. That's the longing of their heart. So we'll bring the bacon here. here here's a great quote um, from a guy who has an awesome last name, Sir Francis Bacon. He says, if a man will begin with certainties, he shall end in doubts. But if he will be content to begin with doubts, he shall end in certainties. You see what he's getting at? See, it, being a skeptic is asking, Mary asks a question. It's an important question. I mean, you're going to have a son. Uh, well, usually a husband comes first. How is this going to happen? Gabriel explains. She's, she's being a skeptic. She's asking a question in the classical sense. I need an, I'm confused. Let me know what's going on. On the flip side, what, because we, see, what we're talking about is making room for doubt in a culture of cynicism. Oftentimes what happens is, we, we, instead of asking questions truly and honestly looking for an answer, sometimes we get caught up in, in playing the role of the cynic. Now here's the definition of what it means to be a cynic. A cynic asks questions to deconstruct. See, the cynic doesn't want answers. The cynic poses questions that are laced with sarcasm and, and laden with a mocking spirit. The, the cynic is, is poking holes. The cynic is, is posing situations or asking questions, not from a desire to know, not from a desire for more stable footing, but frankly, just to kind of to poke through everything. C.S. Lewis, in, in a little bit of a riddle form, is quoted as saying this, and it has, has to do with uh, cynicism. You can't go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same as not to see. You see? <laughs> it it, it kind of, it, it's, it's a riddle form, but what he's getting at is the cynic will poke holes in everything and because that's, that's just what we do. We, and it's a cynicism rises and we never latch on to anything. Mary is asking, it's a, it's, a, it's a question of a skeptic. Zechariah, it's the question of a cynic. How dare you ask me to allow my hope to rise again? That's what he's asking. How dare you ask me to let my, let my, my hope rise again? Where, where were you in all the disappointment? Where were you after the miscarriages? That's what he's saying. In fact, he's saying it so strongly. If you notice that Gabriel's response, it's like he's having his integrity challenged. Gabriel's response to Zechariah's cynicism is, I stand in the very presence of God. My, I work in the throne room. That's what I get paid to do, okay? He gave me a message to give to you. You can feel the challenge 
in Gabriel's response. And that's because he's posing it from us because he's been through pain. And like many of you who are in pain or experiencing disappointment or you feel like you, yeah, I've got this understanding of God, but that's not my experience. What happens, you slipped into cynicism. And that can lead us to a very dangerous place. It can lead us to a place where we become unbelieving believers. And friends, levels of fear sometimes rise higher than levels of faith. Levels of discomfort or whatever it is, despair, hopelessness, depression, rise higher than faith, and that's where doubt creeps in. And those doubts, if we process them well, can actually lead us to very good places. But if we're not careful, if we don't process them in a healthy way, they can lead us to a place of becoming an unbelieving believer. Now, a few observations from those two stories. We'll put them up here on the screen. It's okay to want and to ask for explanations when we are perplexed. It really is okay. This is like this is being a human. We don't understand how is this going to happen. Mary's, how, how, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. She gets the explanation. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you just like the Holy Spirit overshadowed the waters at the beginning of creation. And God created something out of nothing. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. The power of the Most High is going to come upon you and he's going to create something out of nothing. A child will be conceived and he will be holy. She gets this, this, this explanation and it's because she's asked the question. It's just fine to ask the question. But the second thing I think we need to understand is that we can demand too much evidence before we'll believe God. It is possible to go too far with our questions. God sees our heart, but somewhere in there, we move from being a skeptic to a cynic. Somewhere in there, we stop wanting answers and we move to a place where we're bitter and angry. Uh, we, we see this in the scriptures. We see Gideon, you know, he's called to lead Israel to, to, to defeat the Midianites and he's unsure of himself and so he asks that, you know, I'm gonna put this fleece out and, I, and let, let the ground be wet with dew and let my fleece be dry and he checks in the morning and sure enough, that's what's happened and, and he's still not quite sure so he then puts another fleece out and says, you know, make the ground dry and the fleece wet and God does that and, um, and, and okay, and then he's in. He believes. But then you get to the New Testament and we see the Pharisees and the Pharisees are demanding a sign. And they're not demanding a sign so that, that if, if Jesus provides it, they're gonna bow down and worship him and call him the son of God. They have no desire to do that. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's a cynic posing the question or the demand. It's okay to ask the questions when we're perplexed, but you can go too far. And can I just say this? Anytime that you're walking with God and you're taking a step of faith, it's like you can kind of feel your stomach churn a little bit because there will be risk involved. Third thing from the story, I would say is this, the best of us fall into seasons of unbelief. Zechariah, before this whole encounter with the angel, he's described as a righteous man. Then he has his encounter with Gabriel. He goes through his nine months of the time out. He comes out the other side and the scriptures describe him as righteous. He goes through a season of unbelief. And he comes out of that nine-month silent period with bursting forth with worship too. 
and he's still called righteous. Some of you know the name Thomas. Thomas was a disciple of Jesus. And he was following after Jesus. And of course, Jesus is crucified. He's put in the tomb. He's, he's buried in the tomb. And, uh, and then word is out that Jesus has, he's alive, that he's been resurrected. And in fact, he shows up to 10 of the disciples that are in a room one time. And 10 of the disciples get to see Jesus. And they're just overwhelmed that Jesus is alive. And they tell Thomas that Jesus is alive. And what's Thomas' response? Don't you dare get my hopes up. Don't you dare tell me to put my hope in him again. I had hoped that he was the one. And unless I see the nail, nail, nail wounds in his hands or I touch his, the wound in his side, I will not believe. And we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Why do we call him that? Because he missed a meeting. That's all. He just missed one meeting. We're... A bunch of his buddies were there and they got to see Jesus and they got to touch the wounds and they got to see the, the nail holes in his hands. And we've characterized this guy's, this guy's uh, personality as, as a doubter. Oh, he just missed a meeting. If Peter missed that meeting, we'd be calling Peter doubting Peter. Nathaniel doubting Nathaniel. But how does God deal with him? He's at the next meeting. Jesus shows up. Does Jesus walk over to him and say, that's it, Thomas, you're no longer a disciple. I'm decommissioning you as an apostle for me. No, he walks right over to Thomas and says, look at, the, look at the nail scars. Look at the wound. Touch it. And the climax of the gospel of John is Thomas's declaration, my Lord and my God. And Jesus meets him right there in his doubts. Friends, the best of us will fall into seasons of doubts. And when those levels of fear and those levels of despair rise higher than our levels of faith, doubts can creep in. But if we process our questions, our doubts, in a healthy way, they actually will, it will solidify and strengthen our faith. And if we don't process them in a healthy way, it can actually lead us to the place of becoming unbelieving believers. And that's a pretty dangerous place. Now, just a couple handles, and we'll wrap up some things, that, ways we can apply this, these two stories. The first one is simply this. We have to, self, have to ask ourselves this question. Am I processing my doubts as a cynic or a skeptic? If you're here today, and your understanding of God is here, and your experience of God is over here, and doubts have come in, ask you, you have to question your questions. Are my questions motivated by a longing for an answer, or am I just asking the question to deconstruct? You have to question your questions. Second thing I would say is this. We need to be gracious to those who ask honest questions. Jude, chapter one, verse 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. This should be a place where when someone is experiencing spiritual double vision or spiritual vertigo and they are asking honest questions and they want answers, that this could be a place in which they could strengthen their faith. Last thing I would say is this. You need to put yourself in places where you can experience God. What I want you to notice from the story is that Zechariah is a priest. He's gone through decades of disappointment. 
His wife is barren. He's lived with the social stigma of dishonor. And what does he do? I mean, he's a priest. He doesn't go in and turn in his, you know, priest license. He keeps on being a priest. In fact, on this day, he has a special opportunity to go into the temple and to offer incense. And he goes to the very place where he can experience God. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed in my own life, when levels of fear and despair are rising higher than levels of faith, my tendency is to want to withdraw. Withdraw from the places where I could experience God, where I can isolate myself from the people who could be used by God to strengthen my faith. So if you're here and you're experiencing doubts or you got questions, I can say you're in the right place. I want to encourage you to keep putting yourself in places where you can experience God, where you can ask your questions. And know that there's a God who's just fine with our questions. I mean, look at the Psalms. They're full of questions. I mean, you read the Psalms and you can, you've heard me say this before, complaining to God is worship. It's right there, right there in the Psalms. Complaining about God, well, that's rebellion. There's a difference. We can come, we can put ourselves in places, we can ask our questions and know that there is a God who's gracious and who's willing to explain and help us see the big picture. And we need to make room for our doubts, for our questions in a culture that's very cynical. Now, I invite us to bow our heads and close our eyes and let's just, let's just respond to God. And one of the ways you can do this is by asking a question. Something like, God, how, how do you want to reveal yourself to me? God, what do you want me to know about you today? Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.